It's been a long time. I was here <laughs> uh, quite some time ago, I, I recall. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I must say that um, a bit uh, scared <laughs> because you know, I, I want to relate to you. I want my sermon to be relevant, and which is why I really, really agonize over this passage. Uh, I've never preached on, on the seven letters. I've just like skimmed <laughs> over the seven letters. I've preached on uh, the church to allow this year and Ephesus, right? These are the, the, the good, good letters to preach. But Pergamum, oh, wait, wait till you read it. <laughs> Turn to your Bible now and I'll tell you why I agonize over this. Um, Revelation chapter 2. Okay, I will uh, read from verse 12, uh, Revelation 2, verse 12. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is a message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, your faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who hears, with ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. The church where Satan dwells. The, the city where the throne of Satan is. I find it so intriguing. Nowhere else in the Bible it is stated like this. That this is, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. But let me just tell you a little bit about Pergamum first. Pergamum, in my research, uh, I understand that it is actually a very important city. You would have thought that no, Ephesus is, is more important. Actually, yes, Ephesus is, is uh, very famous and important, but actually Pergamum is more prominent and important. And uh, let's have the next slide. I will show you in what ways it is important. I don't want to block you. Let me just stand. Now, strategically, it is important because this, this city is built on an elevation of a thousand feet. And uh, Pergamum has a commanding view of the surrounding. It's just 25 miles from the coast. And so it is used as a citadel. So that strategically is important. Culturally, it is important. Do you know that on the slope of the mountain, there is a theatre that can seat 10,000 people. That's a really huge place. And uh, not only is it culturally uh, a very important place, they have a library that is the second largest library in the then known world. The largest was in Alexandria. This one is in Pergamum, 200,000 scrolls. Very, very important culturally. Third, commercially it's important. You know, in, then, in the then world, they didn't have uh, paper yet. So what did they uh, use for, uh, to write? Papyrus, of course, from where? Egypt. Uh, but 
when there was an embargo imposed by well, that, that country, so the, the, uh, paper couldn't, uh, papyrus couldn't get exported, it was Pergamum. In Pergamum, that they made parchment. Parchment is actually, uh, uh, well, animal skin, but which you can write on. So it was in Pergamum that they made parchment. Of course, you know, it's important. Scrolls, scrolls, parchment. Medically important. I'm, I'm going to explain that a little bit later. Uh, it, it was a medical center. Politically, it was important. Ephesus was not the capital. The administrative capital, the, the center, the political center for, uh, uh, for Rome in Asia Minor was Pergamum. So uh, the proconsul had his residence there. So it is, it is, you know, it is important in that sense. And important for emperor worship. It is the first place in the world where they built a temple to Caesar. It was the first place where emperor worship was instituted. And subsequently, they built, uh, at that time, there was already a, a temple to build to Caesar, but subsequently, they, they built six more. So there were seven temples built to seven different Caesars. So you see, it's important. But there's another, another one, the next slide. Right, I'll tell you this uh, next slide, if you can help me. Uh, why don't I? Ah, okay, this is a picture. Do you see uh, from the, the, the left bottom, do you see the theatre that can sit 10,000 people? Bottom left is is huge. It's, it's fantastic. Can you see that it is it sits on the elevation and from that elevation you look down and you can see the waters. Strategically, very, very well located. Alright, on the uh, on the top right, uh, you can see the library, the long one and some important buildings. And I'm going to talk about the building on the bottom right. Okay. This is the temple built for Zeus Sote. Next slide, please. Zeus Sote means saviour. Zeus, saviour. Zeus is a very important god in, in Greek mythology and in, uh, in the religious sense in the Roman times, because he was the god of gods. He was the chief god. He was the supreme god. And so they built this uh, temple for him. It's a, spe it's a spectacular altar, 35.6 uh, meters wide, 33.4 meters deep. The stairs, where the people, you can see, they are all standing there taking pictures. The stairs is 20 meters wide. It is decorated with frieze with high relief. It was built for Zeus and it resembled a throne because it has two arms and it has steps coming up and uh, there's a room where there is a fire is always burning 24 hours. Now, this thing here is um, a lot of the materials here were taken from Pergamum. Uh, this is well recorded. There was an excavation done, archaeological excavation, and they, they could um, get all these, these um, you know, panels and pieces and they brought it to, uh, to Germany, to Berlin, during the time of the First World War. And they, they attempted to reconstruct it, but because of the First World War, it was delayed. But in the Second World War, they, they again attempted to reconstruct it. Uh, it was not completed, and then the Russian came, and the Russian took everything to Moscow. Uh, but after uh, the partition of Berlin, uh, East Berlin became communist, Moscow returned everything back to Berlin, and then they built uh, this museum called the Museum of Pergamon, and they reconstructed it with a lot of the materials that they got from Pergamon. This is the throne of Satan. And who has been there to see this? Elder Hui Xing Chuan. Just ask him. <laughs> it's very, very impressive. Let's go back to the slide before that. Just, just before that. I see the, the one on the bottom right. So this is, this is real. If you go there, it is 
the correct scale, you will see it, the Museum of Pergamon. Now, um, why am I taking so long to describe this? I, you know, this is, this is not the only important temple. Um, um, next slide, please. And the next slide. This, there was also a second important temple called uh, to Athena. She was the patron of the goddess of, uh, of trade, arts, craft, wisdom, weapon. And people who are involved in all kinds of trade uh, sacrificed to Athena uh, to, to, to seek help and wisdom in their trade. So can you see how important it is? Trade, arts, craft. And uh, as Selfius uh, Asapelius uh, is a god of healing. I said that this Pergamon was a, a center for healing because uh, Asapelius uh, was a god of healing. So many people went to Pergamon to seek healing. And her symbol is, uh, his symbol is this, uh, uh, this stick with the, with the snake. And you know that to this day, this is the medical emblems, uh, you know, in, in all around the world, you know, um, even in the army, you know, it's the army battalion or whatever, they, they will have this symbol. Uh, it means, uh, well, it's associated with, with the medical corps, medical services, right? Then uh, Dionysus is the son of um, Zeus. He's the god of wine, sexual gratification, and many festivals were held throughout the year to honour him, and they became occasions for uh, the worshippers to indulge in drunken ravery, uh, debauchery, sexual gratifications of all kinds. Now, I, I'm, I'm telling you all this because I, I think it's significant. Pergamum was a very sophisticated place, very vibrant, very affluent. There was something for everyone. And what I find intriguing is this verse. Next, next slide. Pergamum was a city where Satan's residence and HQ was, where Satan has his throne, verse 13. Pergamum, I want to suggest to you, represented everything Satan could offer. This, this is a place of political power, of prestige, of money, of luxury, of authority, of healing, of influence, of indulgence, affluence. Everything that Pergamum has is representative of what Satan offers. So it is like a showcase come. You want this? It is here. No wonder Satan wants to establish his HQ in Pergamum. And do you remember the verse where Jesus was after, uh, was in the wilderness and, and Satan offered him this and the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and your glory. And this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. And, he, and it is true. He's, he spoke the truth here. Yeah. It was really his to offer. And there is something else that I think is significant. Why did Jesus just introduce this, this little thing? The city where Satan dwells. The city where he is. I think uh, Jesus just wants us to, to want to open our eyes to an unseen reality that we are not uh, very mindful of. And that Satan's operational HQ, Satan's operation is here. <laughs> And his operational HQ is not, probably not in some war-torn country, drug-infested place, a disease-ridden place, crime-infected. Probably not. Not like what I think. I think 
it is really possible that Satan's operational HQ is in some culturally refined, intellectually sophisticated, in some commercially vibrant, materially affluent city, maybe like New York, maybe Tokyo, London. What about Singapore? I don't want you to to rule up this possibility. He is in a city where he runs this system and this system got to work. Because it is with this system and the values it promotes and the, in the system where everybody buys into this that he can then achieve his agenda. And it has to be in a very sophisticated city, commercially uh, important city, a city that sells. Uh, sells what? Sells movies and, and uh, music and merchandise and where the banking system uh, you know, supports it. it. It is in that kind of a city. So this is, this is the reality. Uh, I put uh, the verses Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, Ephesians 6, 12, uh, because uh, Paul had this to tell us that once you walk according to the cause of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, there is this unseen reality. Uh, but, but they don't just float around and, and just harass people and demonize people. And, no, it works in the sun of disobedience, in our hearts. And Ephesians 6.12, we don't fight against flesh and blood enemies, uh, but against the evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against the mighty powers of darkness, the sp- evil spirits in the heavenly realms is, is something. There's an unseen reality. Just don't take your mind off that. Be mindful. There is another reality. Now, let's go back to uh, Pergamum. Uh, I don't know whether you can just imagine for a while, this is the place where Satan has his throne. What kind of a place was it? What kind of a place was it for Christians where Satan dwells? Not just where a lot of demons are around, but where Satan has his HQ. I imagine that uh, it would have been quite difficult. They would have been ridiculed, I think, this small church, mocked, charged with infidelity to Rome because, you see, uh, these Christians uh, would not acknowledge Zeus as saviour, only Jesus as saviour. They, um, they would not bow down to Caesar as Lord, only Jesus as Lord. They would not go to Ecclesiastes for healing. Jesus is the only healer. So they wouldn't go and you know, think such a big deal about all this, this 200,000 uh, uh, scrolls in, in this library. They, they, they have their own scrolls, the scriptures. So in many, many ways, the, the Christians are very different. You know, uh, uh, tradition has it that when Antipas was martyred. They just want to intimidate the, uh, the Christians by making them uh, just, just be loyal to Caesar. I mean, you, you don't have to worship. Uh, everybody can worship their own gods. There are so many gods and we can accommodate you. But Caesar, be loyal to Caesar. You have to bow down to Caesar and sacrifice to Caesar. And, and this was the only group of people who didn't. And so they made an example of one and they put him in a, uh, a drum that, is, that looks like a, a calf. They put him in and, and they ro- roasted him to death. <laughs> so that, that, that's tradition. Uh, we, this is just what the commentaries say. It was a terrible time, but they didn't cave in. <laughs> they remained loyal. You know, I, I had a taste of this before. I, uh, I went to North Korea with my siblings, and yes... Uh, North Korea uh, welcomes tourists. Uh, so I flew there uh, on an eight-day trip uh, because there's only one flight in, uh, every eight days. <laughs> and so I had to be there eight days. And when I went there, I was surprised that 
actually, it is a, it's quite a beautiful city. Very, very clean, very orderly, very... Streets are broad and the buildings are big. And, uh, uh, you know, everything was just uh, built to impress. You know, but there was something which I, I did not expect, okay? There, were, there are in North Korea uh, 700 statues of the grandfather and the father. <laughs> this is the, the, the senior uh, Kim, who was the founder of North Korea, and the, the, one, the, the son who died um, um, just, just five or six years ago. Now, the, the current one is, of course, the, the grandson. There are 700 statues of these two men side by side. And everywhere we went, uh, so we, we went to the school, then the two statues. I mean, th these are not just, um, not, not this size, life size. They are like that. And so everybody just uh, please uh, put, stand in position and we stand in position like this. Like 15, 20 of us. Let's march forward. Then we march forward. Let's bow. Everywhere we went, we did that. Everybody did that. Tourists and, and then, uh, uh, now, then, then of course the locals would then present their flowers and then they just do that. Then they would do their thing. Then we went to the, the, the movie studio, you know, like the Holly, their Hollywood and then there was this statue. Went to the museum and it was there and the schools and the farms, the model farms, huh? this is for the tourists, they're there and they're everywhere and I felt uh, that I, I don't want to do it but everybody was doing it. We had to just stand in line and we just went forward like this. And everybody bowed just like that, man. So, okay, no, no. I'm, I just go through the motion. But I, I, I felt a bit of the pressure to just like, uh, just, you know, just, just go through the motion. I can imagine in Pergamum, the worship of of. Caesar was real. It, it, it's, it's not just that well, you, you just pay your respects. No, it's, it's worship. And, and so I, I thought it might have been really difficult for the Christians then. Now, there's one thing I want to say about, um, about persecution. Persecution they had. You know, don't assume that persecution always unite the church. That persecution always strengthened the church. Not true. A sleeping church will hibernate in times of persecution. I think that a divided church will be dismembered by persecution because Mark 9, 12 tells us this, that in the last days, it will be such terrible times that people will betray just one another. It's, it's just so hard. Uh, a church that compromises will apostolize during persecution. A church without evangelistic zeal will just hide during persecution. Uh, this is what uh, Jesus' words say in Matthew 24, 9-12. Then people will arrest you. They will hand, over, uh, hand you over to be hurt. And they will kill you. And they will hate you because you believe in me. At that time, many will lose their faith. That's about Christians, of course. They will lose their faith and they will turn against each other and they will hate each other. And many false prophets will come and cause many people um, to believe in lies. So anyway, good news is that uh, this, is, this was a commendation of Jesus. Um, this was a recognition to the church. And you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my, um, your faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful Martha, who was killed among you. So this church survived. And then came the rebuke. The rebuke is, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, uh, I, I want to explain to you what this is all about. I know Balak was a prophet for hire. Uh, and wait, don't look at this. Let me tell you about this prophet for hire. It's, 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 just a, it's a mystery figure, you know, because 
ba- uh, Balaam is not a prophet of God, and yet Balaam had a very effective prophetic ministry. So famous was he that Balak tell him, come, come and help me, because I know that whoever you curse will be cursed, whoever you bless will be blessed. So it's like, um, the modern equivalent is, I, I think, in, uh, I, I can think of is that's in, in the, the Malay community, they go to the Bumos, and they believe that some of these Bumos are, the, the, witch, the, the witch doctors, uh, they are quite effective, that whoever they curse will be cursed. So they will pay money for these Bumos to pronounce curses. Balaam was like that. And so when Balaam wanted to uh, was hired to pronounce curses. Three times he failed because God obstructed him. And then this guy is really smart. He, uh, the Bible talks about him uh, teaching the Mo- Moabites what to do. And uh, what he taught them to do was this. You send some of your seductive women to go to the camp of the Israelites and they will know what to do. Um, a seductive woman will entrap the man, and after they have sex, they will join you for worship. After they have compromised morally, they will compromise spiritually. It will work. It is this is this is the teaching of Balaam. Defeat them with deceit. If hostility is not the right approach, then being friendly would do the work. Be friendly. And moral compromise will lead to spiritual compromise. And do you know the Bible says that demons are teachers? And it's it's stated in 1 Timothy 4.1, the Holy Spirit clearly says that in the last days, some people will leave their faith. And why? They will follow the spirits that will fool them and they will believe the things that demons would teach them. I tell you, you better pay attention to this. Because in Singapore, our religious freedom is in the constitution. It's your constitutional right. I think it's not likely that we will be persecuted for our faith. Not, I'm not, not going to be... Um, in, well, I, I just can't imagine how it can happen. I, it, it can happen, but I just cannot imagine that uh, it will happen soon, that, we will, that being a Christian will be difficult. So if hostility is not the right approach, being friendly might just do the work. In other words, by the teaching of Balaam, it's good. Satan, uh, the, the, the teachings of demons, Satan is going to introduce a bit of the world. And let's see what happens. First, they will compromise morally and then they will compromise spiritually. I'll give you some... um, uh, I'll just tell you what I mean, right? What exactly is Satan introducing uh, to the church? Um, I think Satan is trying to introduce to us a totally different way at looking at life, a different way at looking at things, a different, totally different way of looking at the world. Because the world has different goals and values and lifestyle. If he can convince us to look at life and world and living differently, uh, then... Uh, and, and we, we, we befriended, right? We, we sort of adopted. Our relationship with God will be totally different. Right? And so this is, let me show you what I mean. Right? This is Satan's teaching. Our relationship with the world is changed with three lies. Is it difficult? Is it? Uh... Mm, okay, can. Just that the last line is cut off. Lie one, with pleasures with pleasures, you can be fulfilled. This is the last of the flesh. Lie too, with acquisitions, you can be secure. This is the last of the eyes. The, lie, the third lie is, with accomplishment, uh, you, you can be in control. This is the pride of life. Let me just read that. this for you. Do not love the world 
So it's, it's introducing a little bit of the world in, into us now. But do not love the world, Jesus. Uh, 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 John wrote in First John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, all the things of the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. These are the ways of the world. Wanting to please our sinful desires, wanting the sinful things we see, and being too proud of what we have. None of this comes from the Father. All of them comes from the world. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Can you see that there is a theme here? The theme here is the priority is self. And I will show you how this works uh, in, in just a short while. All right, and uh, let me just elaborate a little bit on, on Satan's strategy. Um, Satan's strategy is this, if I can give you uh, another chart that will illustrate this more clearly. Whenever we are faced with decisions, whenever we have to, um, you know, um, we are confronted with a, a situation where we have to make a choice, uh, we operate from one of these three positions or two positions or all three positions. But, but, but we, we have to use uh, our reason, we have to use our emotions and uh, being Christians, we, of course, uh, God wants us to use our faith. Uh, Satan wants us to use our reason and to follow our emotions. And th this is the whole strategy. This, this is his approach a totally different way of looking at life, a different way of looking at the world and your relationship with, with everything. You've got to use a reason. You've got to follow how you feel. And, and, and it's not wrong, of course. I, I put a remark there that God is definitely not, the, the part in purple, the last line, God is definitely not opposed to reason. We are given a mind and God wants us to think. He, he's, he desires us to be uh, to be reasonable and also to be emotionally healthy, so that, that's definitely not wrong. But God also wants us to, uh, you know, to exercise our faith. This is the part that is excluded. Faith comes, flows from the spirit, whereas our thoughts and feelings flow from the soul. Reason will tell us this. This is what I think, and it, it, it seems right. It seems right. Emotion will tell us, this is how I feel right now, and I, I do feel like doing this now. And Satan would, would tell us that this is, this is enough. Um, I, I, want to, I want to tell you what actually just happened uh, in, in just a very, uh, the last few, uh, maybe, okay, maybe within five or ten years, uh, how, how many people have fallen because they just used their reasons and their emotions? Uh, I have a friend, or th th well, this thing just happened two or three months ago. I've got a friend whose daughter uh, uh, got involved with a, a non-Christian boy. Uh, this is a, a non-Christian boyfriend. Uh, and the mother was not very pleased, and the mother was persuading her that I, I don't think it's a very good idea and all that. But I said, Mom, I'm not getting married. This is just dating. And so... Well, I mean, it's true. I mean, she, she is in university, not a little girl. And so they dated. And then by the time she was about to graduate, the relationship got a little bit more serious and the mother got a little bit more concerned. And so he, the, girl told the, the daughter told the mother that, Mom, I'm bringing him to church and you know what? He is willing to go to church with me. And so he, he did, she, this, this boy did, and they have been going to New Creation Church and on and off and, and uh, appears to be quite interested and all that, and, and she was very, very pleased. And then uh, lately, uh, just about two months ago, the mother came to see me with her uh, on the pretext of asking me some questions, but actually he wanted me to counsel her. And um, so after the legal advice bit was over and he said that, well, my daughter, uh, my daughter's boyfriend... Uh, got a very good posting to Melbourne and uh, he has an apartment and he's inviting my daughter to go over. She is 
very uh, for it. It's very desirous. Can you please talk to her? And uh, oh, she reacted. She reacted and said, what's the trouble with this? What's the problem? The problem is that you are not married yet and this guy is not a Christian. Okay, lah, tomorrow I just go to, uh, uh, to, to the ROM. Lah. You want a piece of paper, right? I just give you a paper. Lah. Happy? You want me to do that? So I was like, um, uh, they were quarreling in front of me. And so, so I said, well, uh, Edwin, what do you think? You, know, you kept prompting me, what do you think? Uh, can you tell her? T- t- tell her, t- tell her. Uh, so I said, well, yeah, th- well, the, the Bible does have very clear things to say about this. Uh, can you, if you want to live in his apartment, uh, live in separate rooms, and can you overcome the temptation that you will not uh, be sexually, in, uh, physically intimate and stay in separate rooms? And, and uh, she, she didn't uh, like commit. Uh, just, just about sex, right? Just, we just have to stay in separate rooms. So, okay, mom, okay. Yeah. So, but but the, the mother knew uh, what, what, what was ahead. You see, you, you use your reason and you follow your emotion. And this is, a, this is a Christian girl. This girl attends the New Creation Church. Where, where, where is that, that, that thing, all those things on the left-hand left hand side? Where, is, where does faith feature? Now, this, this is the era of Balaam. You, you, you don't... You can read the word, you can attend church, but, but when it comes to decision-making, when, when it comes to the point where you have to make a, a stand, Satan will tell you this is enough. Follow your heart, reason, use your rational mind. I'll give you another example. I know I've got a, a relative who has a daughter, and I know this daughter is a relative's daughter, who uh, was working uh, in the place where there are there were a lot of friends who uh, who smoke yin and uh, the mother the mother was very concerned and the mother the mother uh, told her you 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 know my stand right i i don't want anybody to smoke at home or anywhere you don't do that said okay and but later on um uh, be, because uh, there was some evidence you know sometimes <laughs> the smell of smoke did you smoke? Yeah. Right, okay, but social smoking. Right? I, when they offer me so many times, sometimes I, I just, just take one and, and just join them. They are my friends. Social smoking. And the, the mother rebuked her. And later on, the mother found uh, cigarettes in her handbag and then confronted her. And then she had to come clean that, uh, that she's hooked. And she had... Um, she was now having problem kicking the habit. This is a Christian girl who attends church with the mother in a very good, big church. What happened to everything there on the left-hand side? And it's, it's so harmless. I mean, will you get addicted if you just smoke once or twice and occasionally? Do, do, do you get... Uh, become a drunkard if you occasionally just have a drink or two. In fact, my brother told me that in his church in Living Century, there was an SAF scholar who, um, I don't know, SAF scholar is really good. And so uh, he was sent to Australia and on the, at the airport, there was a big send-off and he said, that, well, uh, pastor, do you have one last word for for my son, because the parents were there. Then, under the prompting of the Spirit, I mean, that, that, that's what Lawrence told me. That suddenly, the, the, the word just came to Lawrence, and the word for this young man is that, well, so-and-so, don't touch alcohol. That's very, very strange advice. Do you advise that? Stay close to God. Go to a church. You know, don't forget... Stay away from alcohol. That was it. Uh, he went to the university. He did well. And then he went out with a lot of the, the, the Aussies friends. And I, I understand there's a culture of drink, drinking. I, I don't know, but, but I was told now that it's very common. They just go to the pub. They just, you know, every, you know, they meet and they, uh, if they have a gathering, it's just drink, alcohol, beer. And he got drunk. And then he was um, uncircumspect and he was a little bit... Um, his hands was not where he should be, and he, the girl uh, then complained that 
uh, it was molest and it became a police case and then he was charged in court and then uh, the, the school then disciplined him and then he lost his scholarship and then he had to change school. Completely ruined by one night of indiscretion. <laughs> String. <laughs> You'll be drunk if you just have a little bit of alcohol. Is it so... Must we be so strict? But, you know, all our lives, we have so many decisions to make. And the Lord wants to spare us of this. And that's why we do not only live by reason, we have to use our mind and we have to, we have to feel with our hearts because we are, we are emotionally healthy people. But, but what does the Word of God say? What does it say? Because if you don't have the word, then you can only depend on reason and your emotions. And the devil has a lot to tell you. The, the world will tutor you. There's a lot that the world can, can teach you and advise you and, and to convince you that it's safe, it's safe, it's normal. Come on, it's the 21st century. We, oh, are you so prudish? You are so conservative. And this is how it works. Brothers and sisters, no matter what you know about any issue, uh, you cannot know everything. You don't have all the facts. Uh, even if you have all the facts, can you be sure that you understand all the facts and interpret all the facts correctly? And even if you think that you have analysed the fact quite correctly, can you determine the outcome once you have acted on on it, in years to come, can you? No. In fact, the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man, Proverbs 16, 25, but its end is the way of death, Proverbs 16, 25. And there is the wisdom that the world offers, uh, James chapter 3, verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above, it is earthly, sensual, it is demonic wisdom. For where there is envy, self-seeking, confusion, and evil, every evil thing there will be. So this is the offer of Satan to us. I want, I want, to, I want to just advise you young people, there is no way we can connect all the dots in the, in the life and, and have everything figured out. You know, I don't have enough wisdom to become all that I'm required to be as an elder and lawyer. And I think that this applies to Joanne as pastor, leader. You don't have enough wisdom to be a son and daughter, teacher, and, uh, and later on to get out to work. You don't have the necessary wisdom to navigate the ups and downs of life. You don't have. We are finite beings which is why God is offering us everything on the left-hand side. Wisdom that comes from the exercise of faith. Life has two teachers. Another chart. Uh, oh, this is not another chart. Let me just finish off this slide. Satan always appeals to our reason, as I've said. And, um, oh, by the way, do you know what is the first mention of spiritual warfare in the Bible? Genesis 3. And what was this spiritual warfare about? It was a conflict between reason and faith. Take note of this. Eve's decision was based on reason and not faith. And this is still the way Satan is operating in our midst. Use this and listen to this. This is the way Satan is still operating. And so Paul, when he wrote this to the letter to the Corinthians, he, he was like appealing to them, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind will may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Isn't this what it's all about? That I'm not asking, you know, this is what Satan is telling you, I'm not asking you to, um, you know, uh, take, 
take God out, I'm just suggesting that, well, you can have a bit of the world in. That's all. You, you don't have to throw God out. Um, There's another uh, passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 25 to 26. 2 Timothy 2, 25. Opponents must, you must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the evil one who has helped them captive to do his will. Do you see? The words here, I, I repeat for you, uh, the, the, the words that Paul used in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 25 is gently instruct knowledge of the truth, come to their senses, escape. All these words indicate that the problem is one of deception. Right? Mind deception and then uh, lead them away from the truth and then trap of Satan, captive. Uh, for instance, I think that God, uh, Satan wants to offer us an alternative gospel and there are, two, there are two teachers in life. Uh, living, you can live by wisdom or you can live by experience. Uh, living with wisdom requires us to live by faith. Living by experience uh, will just need you to... Uh, be rational, uh, live by reason, and to be led by emotion. They, they operate very differently because uh, living by faith, uh, God's ways require you to, to pay for wisdom. And uh, the tuition fee is, is paid up front. You, you, you are required to exercise discipline, obedience. You need to be patient. You need to be consistent. But living by experience is different. You, you get the reward first but you pay a high price only at the end. Experience will teach you only after you have made the mistake, after you have tasted the consequences, you will receive the lessons after that. And usually the cost is very, very high cost. It's a cost of, uh, of pain of regret. Whereas uh, God wants us to say no now, uh, to obey now, to listen now, to wait first, it is the pain of discipline, uh, but with wisdom, uh, we will then avoid the mistakes that will be truly painful. This is how the two kingdoms operate. The two ways of operating, the two ways of seeing the world, the two ways of seeing life, the two ways to make decisions. And Satan's strategy is to make you choose the way of the world. Reason and emotion. The teaching of Balaam. If hostility doesn't work, let's be friendly. Show them how to love the world and everything that the world offers. By the way, it's for me to give. And I will reward them with what the world has to offer. And the more you are rewarded by Satan in the ways of the world, the more you will choose reason, the more you will follow and be led by your feelings. And so we are drifting further and further away from faith. I'm going to uh, end very soon. Right? I'm <clears throat> All this leads me to, you know, appealing to you, brothers and sisters, to seek wisdom. And don't you ever think that Satan can offer you wisdom Satan's difficult lessons will give you some lessons, but it is the demonic wisdom. It's not real wisdom. True wisdom is from God. Job 28, 23, only God understands the way to wisdom. He alone knows where it lives. Proverbs 2, 6, only the Lord gives wisdom. He gives knowledge and understanding. Colossians 2, 3, in whom, meaning Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 130, learning your words 
learning your words gives wisdom and understanding. There is a way that seems right. Proverbs 16.25, they are identical. It's repeated in uh, Proverbs 14. There is a way that seems right, but in its end is the way of death. I think that this is what Satan is seeking to do and why it, his teaching is so appealing. Satan takes out the uncomfortable. Satan takes out the offensive truth. Uh, and he throws in uh, new experiences, good feelings of unconditional love, grace, acceptance, tolerance, inclusiveness, liberty, everything that is so appealing. And so now we allow maybe divorces, uh, we allow people to live together, we allow, we are tolerant towards, uh, sympathetic to those who are homosexual, who are living together, and uh, we, we, we give them time to change, but at the moment, we should just accommodate. Uh, we should not be too judgmental because we will chase them away and then we will lose them forever. And there is a, there's a philosophy, there is a, a teaching that, that creeps in if we allow them. This is the reason why Jesus rebuilt the church in Pergamum. You have tolerated the teaching of Balaam. You have tolerated. You have compromised. And I know what this will do. It will weaken the church. And ultimately, it will destroy the church. Do you understand how important it is to lead by faith and not by reason and to be led by your emotions? Uh, before I, I think this could be, uh, okay. What is, we have to take an offense now, uh, be on the offensive now. And we are given the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We can dispel the dark only by turning on the light, brothers and sisters. You have to know the Word you have to exercise. You've got to answer every suggestions from your friends and every philosophy that is discussed in classes, in the books. You have to turn on the light to dispel the darkness and you have to make the decision based on the word. We cannot avoid the inconvenient teaching we cannot explain away the uncomfortable truth. This is the approach taken by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.2. He said, rather, he told the Corinthian church, we have renounced the secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We will tell the truth, the whole truth, and the uncompromised, undiluted truth. Let's have it. Let's live with the hard truth. Now, I, you know, um, in the many books I've read, and I, by the way, in my family, I have a few pastors, and I have many friends who are pastors, so I, 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 like, I like to ask them this question. We are now living in the 21st century, Pastor what is the greatest challenge for you all as pastors now in this age? You know, most of the time, not, not always consistent, but most of the time, they say that they are having a problem with Bible illiteracy. This is a real problem. My, my, I got two nephews who are pastors. Even in the big churches, the, I would consider them to be biblically grounded, churches with the word, they say that uh, uh, the young people, I'm not talking about just the youth, right? I mean, they're talking about just even young adults, right? They, they were raised from a different tradition and they, they don't know the word. They don't carry the word and they, they don't read the word very much and therefore they don't study it and therefore they don't apply it and they don't think biblically. 
you know, I, I want to tell you something about how I was raised. You know, uh, I, uh, there was a meeting uh, among the, um, the church members about what do, we, what do you want to, the church to be like in the next 15 years? You remember the, the, those, I don't know whether you all attended those meetings. The next 15 years, can you envision what the church will be like in the next 15 years? And I was just thinking, uh, my, my, I met up with the older adults. Uh, you all met up with the, the, the truly the uh, under 45s. Uh, the older adults, I was just thinking that when I was young, I was raised in the tradition of the word. I mean, I, we really, uh, we, we, we didn't have this. Uh, we didn't have the internet. Uh, when, whenever we gather, we will have a time of worship and then we will study the Word. We will, we will really do Bible study. I was raised in the tradition, and I, I, I thank God that it was because the teachers in my Sunday school who, who taught me so well, I mean, they are, I, I, can, I can remember their names. They are, they are really good teachers. They gave me a love for the Word, and it was because of their good teaching that my, uh, my interest in the Word is sustained. And later on in life, when I went to, uh, to the university and all that, I continued to come under the teaching of some very good teachers. Uh, not, not all from this church, uh, because I, I attended seminars and I, I, I go to, to different uh, places to, to, to learn the Word. And I, I got really very interested because I thought, there's so much in the Word to learn. And every time there is a jam, but of course, it's not just the learning of the Word that makes a difference. Uh, I realized that I have a gifting in exhortation. Exhortation means that whenever the word I got, there's something burning in me, I've got to share it. I've got to tell somebody about it. You know? So every time I receive a word, I quickly share it. And the more I do this, the more the Lord taught me. You know? And that was how I realized I was growing in the word. The word was fresh, the word was new, the word was interesting. And I'm still doing this. If you, want to, if you want to ask me what I want to see this church in the next 15 years, I want to pass you this legacy. Oh God, please help me. I want to pass this as a legacy to you. Not in doing, just reading the Word and Bible. Not, not like that. I want to pass to you the legacy of just loving the Word and knowing how to handle the word and how to use the word. In fact, this morning when I met the elders for, at a prayer meeting, the elders' breakfast meeting, I, Xing uh, Chuan and I, Xing Chuan is a teacher, <laughs> we must do it. Of course, we must raise a group of teachers. We must bring back the word because this is the problem now, not just among you or in PPH. It is a problem in a lot of churches now and I, I am afraid I fear for the church. What kind of a legacy are we passing on to you? What is our inheritance for you? Satan will do everything possible to distract you from reading the Word and from keeping you from applying the Word and he will give you all sorts of suggestions to, if possible, to reinterpret the Word. Bible illiteracy is the greatest challenge of the church today. So can I just suggest this to you, brothers and sisters? And I know that this is very convenient. Can I suggest to you that you always bring something you treasure and you always have something like this very, very close to you and that you will mark it, you will read it, and you will ask God to speak to you. Don't, don't just, just, just read it. Let me tell you something about, uh, well, this is, this is from Xing Chuan. I said that. Ching, you know, people are saying that they read, but it's not interesting. Say, how? Uh, what, what do we tell the young people? The only way to get them to love the word is to teach well and to preach well. Because good teaching and preaching is very compelling. They will always want to come back for more. That's right. You know, I don't take seafood, you know. I, I, I don't take prawns, crabs, nothing. All right, no seafood. 
the only seafood I take is ikan bilis. Okay, so, but one day when I was in, uh, I went to Japan for the first time with a group of friends and I had friends who hosted me, John B and Jean. I said, you are in Japan. You are in Japan, Edwin. Try sushi. He said, no, I don't take seafood. I said, not raw seafood. No, I cannot. You have to try seafood. You are in Tokyo, Japan. I said, all right, all right. And so I did. <laughs> and of course, I mean, you think sushi in Japan. It was really good. <laughs> and the only seafood I take is sushi to this day. And I would always go for more. In fact, every Saturday, if I can, I'll go to Muji, <laughs> go to a restaurant, I'll take some of the, the Japanese food uh, there. And I, I, take, I take it because I like it. I've never tasted seafood like that, the, 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 the Japanese way of doing it. And uh, I think, I'm, I'm talking to the leaders here, you have to teach the word well. And for the leaders, we have to preach well. Because when we make the word of God attractive, people will want more. Don't make it down. Because you, you are going to be teachers soon, right? I mean, the, the youth are going to grow up to be teachers. Can you love the word and teach the word and make the word of God so tasty that people will want it more? You know, I'll tell you another story that is just a, the, the negative example. Do you know that I don't take dinners? People are very surprised. You don't take dinners? No, I don't take dinners. Unless it's, it's a wedding dinner, I've got no choice, I'll go to the restaurant. But I skip dinners. And there's one thing that, I, that puzzled me. Why is it that I don't take dinners and I don't feel hungry at dinner time and I'm not losing weight? I'm still 55.5 kg. I know I'm not very heavy, but... I, this is my way. It's been like that for years. Sometimes I'm 56, sometimes I'm 55.5, but this is, this is me, the whole package. And I, and I, I spoke to somebody uh, who is um, uh, well, medically trained. He said, well, actually, the body knows how to adjust to, it's sort of like a starvation mode, and the, the metabolic rate uh, sort of like uh, is, is adjusted. You, you just, just, the body just functions more efficiently, you, you burn less, and then uh, the body gets used to it, and that's why you don't lose weight, you don't feel hungry, you, you just get used to it. And the Word of God is just like that. Your appetite for the Word is like that. Uh, you read it daily, then you, are, you get used to having the meals daily, and, but if you just read it weekly, you, 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 won't, feel, you won't feel it. You feel, you feel hungry and, and uh, very uneasy. You, you wouldn't. And if you take less and less of this, you will have less and less of a longing for it. Because you, you forget how it tastes like. You, you wouldn't remember to want to quickly uh, have, a, have a, you know, a meal of the word. Very dangerous. Satan wants us to go there, of course. So can I... This is my exhortation to you. I haven't finished the sermon. I, I want to finish here. Don't, don't worry about this, this stone with the white stone with the name engraved. And, okay, I, I, I will spare you of this. Okay. But I've got to seal the deal today. Oh, brothers and sisters, you've got to take this very seriously. The just will live by faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Where do we get the faith to live the way God wants you to live? It's all here. The Word of God. The less you have of this, the more of the world Satan will put in your heart. If the Word doesn't counsel you, the world will tutor you. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. It's an urgent message, brothers and sisters. Let's bring back the Word in our lives. Good? Let's have a time of prayer. And I think the ministry part is Joanne's department, right? Let's ask God for, I know it's late. Oh my goodness, I promise. I promise um, the sister right behind that it will be a short sermon. And it is not short.
Just come to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your work of grace in our lives. Thank you, Father, for being so patient with us. Even though, Father, we don't look to you for wisdom and we don't look to you to the word for guidance. Oh God, I just feel that we have been spared a lot of troubles by the grace of God. We should, have, we should get into a lot of trouble because of our neglect of the word. But God, you are so kind to us. But I know, Father, that the agenda of Satan is to lure us further and further away from uh, the walk of faith and the life with you. That if we continue to be people without the word, then we will be in big trouble. And so, God, today we're coming back. We hear you. We know what you're saying. We're coming back to the Word. And we pray, Father, as you have said in the Word, that the reading of the Word revives the soul. Oh, God, I pray that you will do something in our hearts to make the Word of God palatable Actually, to make the Word of God delicious again. And when we read the Word, we will encounter the author of the Word. We want to meet you. We don't just want to, to be knowledgeable in the Word. We want to meet you and to know you and to relate to the God who speaks through the Word. Come to us, God. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us for our independence. Forgive us, Father, for depending on reason and turning our backs to you many times when we should be looking to you. Forgive us. Bring back, Father, the word to us. Make the word come alive to us again. And I pray for Joanne, myself, and for others who are the teachers and the preachers of the word. Oh God, give us the anointing to be really good teachers and preachers. We want to make the word comes alive and, and, and so, so attractive to the hearers that they will want to come back for more. Spirit of the living God, come. Come in our midst. Touch our hearts. Renew our minds. Change the way we think. Come and do your work of wonder. And I want to end my prayer with Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom He gives. Yes, God, we want to live by the wisdom of God that comes through the Word of God. Come, God. Come and fill us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we all rise? You know, I believe that the Word of God is living and active. And, and I believe that every time the Word is